My supervisor calls urgently, asking me to go to Wuhan immediately. This is a diary entry from a Chinese journalist whom we're calling Chen Wei. Like most people, I had no idea about the virus and thought it was the common flu. The notes and diaries you're about to hear are censored by the Chinese government. The diaries will be voiced by actors to conceal the identity of the journalists involved. It's late January 2020, and she's heading to Wuhan to cover this new coronavirus thing. It's getting worse, but still very much in the background. At the time, Beijing had not officially reported any news about the virus yet. So people were still busy preparing for Chinese New Year. There were so many people at Beijing airport. But there were people who were worried about the outbreak of the virus in Wuhan. She gets the call from her editor, packs up her things, and heads to the airport. I boarded the plane from Beijing to Wuhan. There were very few passengers and also even fewer people wearing a mask. Chen Wei is about to cover the biggest story of her life. I felt that I might have to be prepared to spend the Chinese New Year in Wuhan for this trip. But I didn't expect that I would end up staying in Wuhan for over 80 days. This is Al Jazeera Investigates. I'm Kevin Hurton. You know, there are certain days in history where the world just changes suddenly and irreversibly. The big ones are seared into our consciousness by their date alone, like 9-11, or by their nickname. But on October 29, Black Tuesday, the bottom dropped out. Or by a turn of phrase that perfectly captures it. A date which will live in infamy. When we write the history of this pandemic, we'll likely pinpoint the day Wuhan locked down, January 23rd, 2020. And nothing has been the same since. Worldwide, new cases of coronavirus are growing sharply. New despite York the reporting recent... nearly 385,000 confirmed cases. 2,828 cases. Europe is facing a new wave and new restrictions. In this episode, we're hearing from two Chinese journalists in never-before-revealed testimony smuggled out of China. They're risking everything to preserve this snapshot of what life was really like in Wuhan when life as we know it was turned on its head. This is Three Days That Stopped the World. On the 19th morning, my boss told me that the new virus outbreak in Wuhan has spread. That's a diary entry from someone we're calling Yang Jun, an investigative journalist. And actors reading his notes, too. He arrived in Wuhan a few days ahead of her. I was told to go to Wuhan to get more info about the virus, the real number of infections, the hospital situation there, and the origins of the virus. People seemed to have no concern or fear. Some people had never heard about the virus at all. On the way to the hotel, the taxi driver assures Yang Jun that things are under control. The local driver said he saw the news, and it said there were very few cases. The experts emphasized that the virus would not pass from human to human. The driver felt worry-free too. So Yang Jun gets to the hotel, decides to go for a walk. He can't believe the size of the crowds, the food stands and the stalls that open. No one seems worried about the virus at all. 
I was wearing a mask and I got strange looks from the crowd. A stall owner asked me to take it off. He said, you are obviously an overworried outsider. After hearing that, I almost began to disbelieve my own judgment. The next day, it's January 20th, three days from lockdown. I took a taxi to the Huanan Seafood Market. At that time, many people considered the Huanan Seafood Market ground zero. The first Chinese patient was a shop owner there. Yang Jun wants to see it for himself. The driver says the government hasn't issued any notice to alert the people because they're afraid to cause a panic. Then he says it's not confined to Wuhan. There are cases in Beijing as well. Then the driver becomes solemn. He says, it's just too terrifying. The pneumonia has few symptoms, he says. The driver starts talking about what he's heard about the virus and its effects. He says the death rate depends on one's health. It's actually a remarkably accurate statement made long before the world would come to know this virus. The driver says, damn this disease. Really, you can't make heads or tail of it. I arrived at Huanan Seafood Market. The driver parked his car in front. The market was already sealed off. There was a police van parked across the market with a CCTV camera facing the entrance. The market lies between two buildings. The building on the right is kind of this ramshackle house. The one on the left is modern looking. There's a pitched wire roof with a blue sign above the entrance to the market. It's an absolutely massive complex, 540,000 square feet. That's about as much selling space as Selfridges in London. But right now, it's closed off. Red barricades are arranged outside to prevent people from coming in. I started to chat with the people gathered around the entrance. The shop owners didn't wear masks. Even some police had no mask on. When I started to film, a security guy ran to me immediately and stopped me. And then the situation escalated. Well, I showed my press card and then I was taken to the police van. I was detained in the police car for over an hour until a government officer arrived. She asked me to delete all the photos in my camera. I told her that it is my right to report and take photos in public places. But my legal rights mean nothing to them. After verifying his identity, the police finally let him out of the car. He manages to keep the footage, but they follow him all the way down the street to make sure he leaves the area. Yang Jun was shaken by the exchange. He reflects on it later in his diary. I felt powerless. I go to the government publicity office to demand my rights to report. They tell me that I have all the legal rights to report in Wuhan and that no one should stop me. But the reality is not the same. 
During the three days of my reporting in Wuhan, I was constantly stopped by the police. I realized how serious the virus story is and how sensitive and difficult it is to report this topic. It's totally beyond my imagination. Yang Jun wants to see how the healthcare system is holding up, so he heads off to the city's main hospital. After his experience with the authorities at the market, he decides it's probably best to film secretly. Then he fakes a fever to see how he'll be treated. The magnitude of the problem may not have made it to the streets yet, but Yang Jun is about to realize a very different perspective behind these hospital doors. I'm asked to go to the fever sections of the hospital. He asks how many people are here right now. Then they tell him he better leave. It's clear that close up, the situation looks serious. There are so many Wuhan residents queuing to get tested for the virus. They also need to make an appointment to wait in line. Yang Jun talks to a man in line, waiting to be tested. He's holding a chest x-ray. He says the hospital told them they couldn't see it very clearly. They also said there were just too many people. There are not enough medical staff to meet the huge number of patients. The system is already overwhelmed. Later that day, Dr. Zhang Nanshan, the leader of Beijing's coronavirus expert team, appears on state television. He confirms what people have been fearing. The information shows there is certainty of human-to-human transmission. In Wuhan, there is clear evidence. After the doctor's confirmation, the whole city became nervous. This was the evening of January 20th. There's no turning back now. When I was filming on the streets, the locals wore masks and looked very anxious. Also, very few people were out on the streets. The whole city looked deadly cold. Chen Wei, who arrives on January 21st, is touching down into a completely different reality to what Yang Jun witnessed only days earlier. When I got off the plane, I could see almost everyone wearing a mask. In Wuhan airport, the staff were disinfecting at the exits and checking passenger temperatures. It was very intense. Unlike Yang Jun's airport driver, her driver is wearing a mask and fearful of his safety. He told me many cases were discovered in the past two days. Now the city is in panic. While Chen is still en route, Yang Jun is at Jinyin Tan Hospital, continuing to report on a crisis that seems to be getting worse and worse with each passing hour. Despite getting the proper permission to film, he's once again getting hassled by the authorities. The officers told me to wait outside. Then a taxi arrived with two women and two men. A woman wearing an N95 mask tells the guards that her grandfather is confirmed COVID-19. They tell her she needs to call 120, the emergency services number. She already called 120. They told her to come here. They tell her to wait. She's flustered, and she looks like someone who's barely holding it together. They keep passing the buck, she says. For two days, I've been so anxious. 
She says her sick grandfather is 78 years old. He's just standing there with his arms folded politely in front of him. A younger man, a family member perhaps, is helping him keep his balance. She's passing out masks to people when the guards come back. They tell her she needs to go to a different hospital. That's when she loses it. She says, you have been pushing us around for two days already. They say she needs a different document to get her father inside. She says, I'm coming in no matter what. The family felt angry and started to complain to me. Two officers ran out to stop me from talking with the family. They even snatched my camera. It's so crazy that they used violence. They forced me into a security office and told me I was breaking the anti-infection law. When I started my assignment, I was mainly focused on the wildlife market. That's what I was sent to Wuhan to investigate. I was focused on the trade of wild animals because Zhong Lanshan said the new coronavirus probably originated from eating wild animals. Remember, Zhang is the leader of Beijing's coronavirus expert team. I went to a wildlife shop in Wuhan to do undercover filming. Chen Wei pretends to be a restaurant owner. She says she's looking for wild animals, which are considered a delicacy, for a New Year's feast. They tell her it's tough to get now. Most of the wild animal stores are closed. They say the pneumonia, that's the term people used for the disease at the beginning of the outbreak, is just too serious. At the time, the market sellers in Wuhan were already very cautious to do these illegal transactions discreetly. But all those wild animal sellers told me the expert is wrong. They have eaten wild animals for so many years without any problems. Chen asks if they have pheasant or wild boar meat or something like that. The shop owner says, no, we don't. They said the police have shut down stalls. Everyone is afraid to sell. For the time being, it looks like the market for wild animal meat in Wuhan is completely shut down. Initially, people all thought that the virus originated from Huanan seafood market. Later, some said that the virus came from wild animals like bats. However, there was a family living inside the market the whole time during the lockdown. When Wuhan reopened, the family tested negative of the virus. So people don't really believe that theory anymore. But investigating the origin of the virus will have to wait. People are sick. People are dying. And the hospitals are overwhelmed. Finally, the authorities had to act. Lockdown. I worked till midnight on the 22nd of January for over 30 hours long, nonstop. When I was about to sleep at 2 a.m., the Wuhan government announced a citywide lockdown. I realized how serious the matter is. I was sitting on the bed sweating a lot and hearing my heart beating so loudly. Then my boss called me and told me that they would close the city and told me to leave now. We know that the city will be shut down at 10 a.m. on the 23rd. I immediately bought the tickets to Beijing. My first thought was the pandemic must be out of control. I could see so many Wuhan residents asking for help online. Most of them were asking for hospital beds. 
This was one of the clear signs that the medical facilities and supplies were unable to meet demands. Yang Jun and Chen Wei are both wanted back in Beijing immediately. But Chen Wei just got there. She wants to stay and keep reporting. Yang Jun, exhausted and panicked, heads to the train station in a mad rush to get out of the city. We left the hotel at 4.30 in the morning. We saw so many taxis and cars heading for the train station and airport. All these people were fleeing Wuhan because of the fear of the lockdown in a few hours. There were so many people. More and more were still coming. The queues are so long. People were all wearing masks and getting ready to flee the city. The station was chaos. People were desperate. Yang Jun remembers one woman who loses her cool. She was yelling at the station staff that, just get me any ticket to leave now. Anywhere is fine, as long as I can get out of Wuhan. Yang Jun gets on one of the last trains out. His Wuhan chapter is finished. But Chen Wei's is just getting started. At 10 a.m. on 23rd January, Wuhan goes into lockdown. Then the panic was quickly rolling and spreading like tornado all around the city. All public transport were shut down and taxis stopped service. Many companies closed. Even the hotel I was staying at closed. I had to move to another hotel. Rumors are spreading. Social media is full of fake news and gossip. It's hard to know what's true and what is fake. There were not enough hospital beds to meet the demands. As a result, some infected patients had to stay home to isolate. They couldn't get medical treatment at the hospital. Some patients were even put in closets at home to protect other family members. The first locals I met and interviewed was a family of four. Three were already seriously sick at home. The father and mother were laying in the same small room. They were separated only by an old closet placed between them. The daughter was also showing some serious symptoms, like coughing and fever. The whole family were looking for any available hospital bed in the city, and unfortunately, no hospital could take them in. The doctors just told them to isolate themselves at home. This is definitely an impossible way to stop the virus from spreading. That first week was bad. People are cut off from one another and they're trying to stay calm and stay connected to what's going on. Hunkered in her hotel with some other journalists, the days passed slowly. Very lucky. A noodle restaurant boss sent us food every day. All our food were delivered because there's no space to cook. And rather than getting better, in the first few weeks, things are only getting worse. The pandemic peaked in February. The hospital in Wuhan stopped all other normal clinical service. Many people who came to Wuhan to seek better medical treatment were stuck here. Some became homeless in the streets, sleeping in their cars and basements. They were so sad and hopeless, but they were kind people. I remember interviewing a mother and daughter on the streets. Both were infected by the virus. The mom took a bottle of soft drink from her parcel and passed it to me. The daughter stopped her because she was worried that the virus may be passed to me. But I insisted on taking the bottle 
I kept it with me the whole time I was in Wuhan to remind me of their kindness despite desperation. As the weeks pass, reporting restrictions go from tight to suffocating. Still, Chen manages whatever reporting she can. I think the public in general were supportive of my reporting. Also, I had no issue with the locals, including the police, once lockdown started. Now, the Chinese government, on the other hand, that's a different story. It's clear they do not want her reporting on what's going on in Wuhan. Chen is only allowed to film with government approval at this point. But even with the restrictions, the scenes she captures are horrifying. There's one moment where you can see people in hazmat suits, sealing doors with bags and tape. A man turns to the camera and offers up a quote. He says, like Chairman Mao always said, we solve problems with the available resources. The final images that Chen captured with her camera before her access was cut off completely looked post-apocalyptic. I mean, they looked like something out of Chernobyl. I had never experienced this kind of situation in my life. There are some topics and stories that could not be reported in China. Pandemic control measures, protocol for confirming infected patients, and anything related to government department cover-ups. They were all impossible to touch or report. As for Yang Jun, he says the censorship, well, it didn't let up once he got back to Beijing. My boss instructed me not to do any of my own investigations. Everything should strictly follow the official party line. Any stories not in favor of the government must be presented to the party leader for approval before publication. Some of my reports were not allowed to be published. Later, I gave up reporting. It's banned by the restriction order anyway. But I saved the materials and footage. Wuhan changed everything for Chen and Yang Jun. One year has passed since I went to Wuhan, but I still can't forget many things that happened during those days in lockdown. They no longer feel safe in their own country, simply because they did their jobs. I know the authority has been watching me and other Chinese journalists. I think that they are still tapping my mobile phones, WeChat, email, and even my travel records, even though I have quit my job already. No one in China dares to talk about the origin of the virus starting from Wuhan or the mistakes the local government made. And as if it wasn't already clear, in late December 2020, the Chinese government sent a powerful message to those reporting on Wuhan. Chinese citizen journalist Zhang Zhang has been sentenced to four years in prison for reporting on Wuhan's COVID-19 outbreak during the early months of the pandemic. Security was tight. As COVID-19 continues to spread and mutate around the world, life in Wuhan, well, it's no longer a place people are running from. One year on, life in Wuhan appears strikingly normal. Streets are busy, kids are back in school, people packing bars and parties. The mental change of the people has been huge. Chen Wei finally left Wuhan in mid-March, after 80 days at the epicenter of a global pandemic. She's kept up the diary, still writing, still reflecting on everything that's happened since those three days that stopped the world. For a few months after the lockdown, people began to understand the virus. People in Wuhan changed from zero protection to full protection. Their mentality also changed from fear to being strong. Now those living abroad are trying to come back to China. 
it's a complete U-turn. Nationalism in China has been unprecedentedly high. A lot of Chinese now firmly believe that China's political system is the best in the world, and that the government has done an amazing job to save us from the pandemic. People here don't talk about the virus anymore. It's like history, which passed long ago. The government's propaganda has made this pandemic their best showcase of how they successfully run the country. People all seem to forget the tragedies in Wuhan early last year. People feel very lucky and proud to be in China because it is the only country that has controlled the virus. This may not be true, but that's how most Chinese people feel. That will do it for this episode of Al Jazeera Investigates. And if you like this episode, hit that subscribe button because we have a new investigation coming out February 1st. We expose a notorious crime family operating at the seat of power in Bangladesh through surveillance, public records, undercover recordings, and stunning whistleblower testimony. We solve a mystery more than 25 years in the making. This episode was produced by me, Kevin Hurton, with help from Sarah Yeo. It was edited by Craig Pennington. Leo Safayanis did the final sound mix. Hassan Romani does our social media. Executive producer is Joe DeFrias, and Phil Reese is Al Jazeera's director of investigative journalism. We'll see you next time. <laughs>